0: May 2019, South African John Bothma, 23, vanishes from the streets of Ho Chi Minh City while teaching in Vietnam. Almost two months later, another South African teacher in Vietnam, Mushfiq Daniels, 28, also vanishes from the same busy city streets. Both of John and Mushfiq's mothers have traveled to Vietnam to search for their sons to no avail. Have you seen John or Mushfiq? Sources for this episode include News24, IOL.za, EWN South Africa, The Vietnam Insider, CambodiaExpatsOnline.com, All Africa, Times Live, The South African, The BBC, The George Herald, the VN Express and The Diplomat. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 101 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. I am back for now. Um, If I take a little bit of a break between episodes for the next little while, it's for a good reason. It's because I have work coming in now a fair bit, um, which is really good for me. I hope you guys are doing okay. I will not comment on the situation in Melbourne because it will aggravate me. Um, but if I sound a little different on this episode, it's because I'm getting like my yearly cold, um, if those still exist in this day and age, not sure. Um, so yeah, it happens every year, same time. It's winter in Australia and it's pretty cold. So um, so I just want to start out by thanking listener Kara Cara's from the Bay Area in California. The cats are fighting in the background. That's how they feel about the Bay Area. I'm sorry. Um, thank you, Kara, for your PayPal donation and also to Paul, um, who's also a patron for yours as well. It really comes in handy no matter what amount it is at the moment with lockdowns in Melbourne, fifth time around, um, and being self-employed. So thank you so much. I also want to welcome a new patron, Marissa. Thank you so much for coming on board. I got a few really nice voicemails from Marissa. I say a few because she she kind of left um, her feedback on a case, which I'll get into Next week, I'll explain what she said and I'll also play her voicemail um, next week as well. Um, So I'm going to play on this episode another voicemail I got first um, before I get into a few updates and things like that. So this is listener Emily and thank you so much for leaving a voicemail. Um, As I said, even if you leave one just after the 100th episode, I love to hear your voices. So please go on Anchor, the app, Anchor FM, find my podcast. I think you have to favorite it and then leave a voicemail. Um, Yeah. Hi, Felicity. Congratulations belatedly on 100 episodes of Unknown Passage. My name is Emily and I'm from Connecticut in the US. I've been listening nearly since the beginning and Unknown Passage is my favorite pandemic podcast for sure. My favorite episodes are the David Sneddon case, the episode about Daryl, the American whose buddy ditched him in the Dominican Republic, um, the Helen Smith case in Saudi Arabia, and the French fugitive who murdered his family as well. Your unique concept and your thoughtful, insightful presentation make Unknown Passage really special, and I can't wait to see where we will travel next. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Emily. Those cases that Emily mentioned in that voicemail are the ones that I get, like, probably the most feedback on, including the Saudi Arabia one. People really liked that episode. And I'm not exactly sure why. People just really, like, appreciated it. Um, the Daryl Fornatura one, I was literally thinking about the other day. I th- I was thinking about his poor old dad, hoping that he's okay um, and hoping that one day I'll get to speak to his sister um, if she ever hears the episode um, I, some people I've reached out to over the last year, things have been tough over the last year for people. People have been out of jobs, they've been locked down, they've been away from families, and it really hasn't been the ideal time to speak to a lot of people, um, especially when they can't travel to these places to look for their loved ones. So I guess, you know, by listening to this, you're spreading awareness of these while they can't. Now, partly, part of this episode we're going to South Africa for the start. And a few things are going on in South Africa. So the first one is major riots, um, which you've probably seen. Barely made the news here because it seems that people just have wiped Africa from their memories, especially South Africa, but it's dire there. People are, you know, locked in their homes with no food and water and ability to, you know, protect themselves because the police are outnumbered and outgunned um, by people who a lot of them are just opportunists who are out to riot and loot. Um, So I just I've been thinking a lot about people there and reading a lot of online comments from people, you know, really panicked who are there or who have family there. And if you are there and you listen to this podcast, um, I am thinking of you. And as much as that doesn't mean anything, thoughts and prayers like Anthony Jeselnik says, what does that matter? Um, I really am. And so the next thing that came up with South Africa, because it was a very kind of South African last 10 days, um, was that I got an interesting email and it was titled Update on Brian Smith. And I'm not going to say who the person is. And as much as they said, just read the email as they wrote it. I um I'm going to I feel more comfortable leaving out their relationship to the person in question. So if you don't remember, Brian Smith was the South African serial killer who killed homeless women in Alaska um, that we covered, and he was ultimately arrested because he dropped an SD card um, where he had videos of him torturing them, some like something out of a really terrible horror movie. Um, so this person emailed me with a bit of an update because at the end of that episode, I said that I there was no update on when his trial would be. This was, I think, 2019. So with COVID and things taking a while, but I'm going to read it to you, but I'm going to omit how they are, you know, how do they know this person? So if you remember Brian Smith's wife, um, you know, who he met in a kind of whirlwind way and they fell in love and then he moved to Alaska because she was from there. Her name's Stephanie. So I'm going to read this to you. Stephanie Bisland is someone I know and she's still with him. She is full on nuts. His trial is in three years and he will eventually go to a maximum security prison in Washington State, I believe. He is using up all her money and she is not listening to anyone. He owned an inn in Africa and I'm sure these were not his first murders. So thank you for sending that through, listener. Um... Yeah, he deserves to go to a maximum security prison and be in, like, solitary confinement for the rest of his life. Um, And if she's nuts enough to support a man who did what he did to women, um, then, you know, she deserves to have her funds sucked up by him. That's all I can say. So getting on to this week's episode, this is a Patreon location request for Patron Lee. Lee is from not very far from me in a beautiful part of Victoria, my state called the Mornington Peninsula. It's about an hour and a bit from Melbourne. I last went there a couple of years ago and it's just a beautiful part of, you know, my state Um, and I wish I was living there at least a little bit out of Melbourne now. So one of Lee's choices was Vietnam. So I was very happy to go obviously to that part of the world because it has a very special place in my heart. And I was really surprised looking up Vietnam. Normally I get so many cases of missing tourists and things like that. But really for Vietnam I just didn't. And I came across John Bothma and Mushfiq Daniel's stories about a year ago. And then I left it because I really thought this was a case, or two cases, because they're not related to each other, um, that would resolve itself through COVID. I honestly thought that both of them would reappear. So I kind of put it off and put it off and decided not to do Vietnam. Um, and that still you know, hasn't happened, and it's still a mystery what happened to both of these young men. Now, Mushvik in particular, we don't have a total play-by-play of his life. Um, leading up to going to Vietnam to work. They're both South African young men. Um, They did not know each other in South Africa. And as far as we know, they did not know each other in Vietnam either. But a lot of expats go to Vietnam to teach English. It's a very kind of lucrative job you can get into where you don't earn the really poor amount that locals do. Um, I know quite a lot of people who have done it in Vietnam and I've done it in Cambodia, but I will say that their separate disappearances in Vietnam in 2019 within a month and a bit of each other open up a lot of theories for people and for this episode I have infiltrated in the last couple of months kind of a lot of expat forums and things like that to see what locals in Ho Chi Minh City, where they both disappeared from, kind of what they what their opinions are because they're familiar with the terrain. Um, <clears throat> Now I'm doing their case together because not only are they both South African and they went missing within a month of each other in the same city in Vietnam but they're often kind of referred to together in the same articles um, because their parallels are you know it's so similar so that's all I have to say to open this up so I'm going to basically to put forward this story I think the best way to do it I just want to say it's really early in the morning here and birds are chirping outside. It should be a beautiful thing, but I know you want to listen to this and not hear birds. So I'm sorry, I can't shut them up. But basically, I'm going to go through John's story. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about Vietnam um, and its history. Then I'm going to talk about Mushfiq's story. And then I'm going to go into theories and a little bit more we have about John Bothma from information that I have come across. So that's how I'm going to do it. So, let's get into a little bit about John Bothmer. John Colin Bothmer disappeared in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam in May 2019 um, at the age of 22. Now, John is South African and his mother, from everything I can find, lives in the Kempton Park city of South Africa, which when I looked it up, it is in the Goteng province but it's actually part of like greater Johannesburg. Um, But I believe he's from a place called Rudaport or something like that. Um, I couldn't exactly figure out where exactly because I know where his mum lives. So to describe John, he has fair hair, blue eyes, He's about 172 centimetres tall, so maybe five foot seven or so. Um, He was 86 kilograms. He has one ear piercing. He sometimes wears glasses. And one thing I did notice about him is he's got a very distinctive look. He's got a very um, strong jawline, which I think makes him stand out from other people. Now, one thing to note that's very distinctive on John is that he has an owl tattoo on his right calf. So it's on the back of his Right calf, and it 's really big it 's like pretty much like takes up the majority of his, the back of his right calf, and he has a wrist tattoo that reads warrior and I will put these pictures up of these distinctive tattoos and of John on the website, but also in the patreon now. His mum is Colleen, who has looked extensively for her son and obviously continues to. This is a common thread we see again and again on this podcast that parents on the other side of the world have no idea where their child is and I believe that Colleen got her first passport um, in order to fly to Vietnam to look for John when he went missing. And the streets of Vietnam, as someone who has been to this city, Ho Chi Minh City, are so overwhelming. It's hot. It's sticky. There are, I can't even explain the number of motorbikes. Crossing the road is a issue. Um, It is so loud. I, I refer to it as electric. It's a very, just a live city that's always go, 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 go. Now, John was a student of UNISA, which is the University of South Africa, but also can be the University of South Australia, they seem to both use it, um, in Pretoria. And he was studying teaching. And in November 2008, he put his studies at UNISA on hold to do what many young people do, to go to Vietnam or to Southeast Asia, To teach English. And John ultimately ended up in the northern Vietnamese city of Hanoi, which is the second biggest city um, and very popular with expats. I think it's got a slower pace from everything that I know about Hanoi having not been there um, than Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh is the, you know, (laughs) crazy, it's maybe like the New York to Hanoi's I don't know, Atlanta or something. So, John's Facebook is still up, and there are regular posts, you know, trying to find him on um, Facebook. But from what I could find in an article, it said that they removed the Find John Bothmer Facebook page that was set up. So, I'm not really sure why that happened. Um, but I do think it would be worth it for the family to have one central page like Mushfiq Daniel's family does. Um, Although these are two very separate disappearances that are being run separately, obviously. So John was in Hanoi for six months um, teaching, I believe, part-time with a view to going full-time into teaching. It's a really rewarding thing. I taught English in Cambodia, but I think he was teaching at a college. I was teaching at a very very basic school that was run out of the front of a laundry um but he was in daily correspondence with his mum you know back in South Africa now the date that he was last heard from varies according to what source you're using but an interview with his mum clarified that it was the 15th of May 2019 some sources say up to the 18th but I'm going with May 15th 2019 so just over 2 years ago from now She suddenly stopped hearing from her son. He was apparently last seen in Ho Chi Minh City city, and he was staying at a backpacker's hostel. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing and this is why I'm going to come back to John's story in a little bit. Um, He was last seen checking out of a hostel, which is in Ho Chi Minh City, the heart of it. I believe it's in District 1, which is the very centre where they. Advise tourists to stay because it's, you know, safer in the central part and it's also where the majority of the tourist attractions are. He was last seen checking out of a hostel called the Saigon Hub Hostel. So I will get back into that shortly. So keep that in mind. Now, his passport was left behind in his room and he did not return to it. Um, and I had to dig through some expat forums and things like that to find out a little bit about what really happened, which we will get into. So Colleen learned from social media that her son had gone missing and it took five months because she obviously had to save money. This is another thing people really, I don't think, think about, that the money is not just there for you to go and fly to the other side of the world. Um, so she'd finally travelled to Hanoi um, in, you know, late 2009 and according to News 24, she went to Hanoi and she went to where John had been teaching part-time and she met his students and things like that and she kind of said, you know, she felt like she was right where he had been for the first time in a long time. Um, Then she went to where he had been staying for the six months that he'd been in Hanoi and then she simply just walked around different streets, restaurants, asking all kinds of people if they had seen her son because the last she heard, you know, she didn't know exactly where he was. He could have been in Hanoi, he could have been in Ho Chi Minh. but I guess she thought he was going to return to Hanoi at some point. So, Nothing happened in Hanoi, she couldn't find any leads, so she travelled down to Ho Chi Minh City, which is about, I think, 1,300 kilometres from what I could find. Um, It's quite a big country, which we will get into. So John had last been seen in Ho Chi Minh and Colleen travelled down there, which as someone who has been there, it would have been a massive shock to the system, but she found nothing there as well. No leads and John had seemingly disappeared into thin air. Now, according to IOL South Africa, Colleen had to use an app on her phone because she speaks Afrikaans, which is one of the reasons why I can't play the interview with her that I found because she's speaking Afrikaans for most of it. So she had to use Google Translate basically to translate Afrikaans to Vietnamese so that they could understand her, um, which is something that I've had to do before and it gets very stressful. So she went to the South African embassy there and that was where she collected John's passport that had been left behind at the hostel in Ho Chi Minh City and she was given his belongings because his, you know, backpack had also been left behind and all his belongings. So John was left, had left the hostel. I will get into that but it was to claiming to get money out of the ATM and to return to check out and pay his, you know, fee that he owed for staying there Um, and that was it. A year on, Colleen said, quote, I never knew it was possible to live with this much pain. I don't think it was I didn't think it was humanly possible. So many people are telling me to move on with my life. Maybe I should stop searching and hoping, except that he's never coming home. How does a mother do that? How am I just supposed to forget? He's my child. It's impossible to forget, unquote. I find it crazy that anyone would tell her to do that because it's only been about two years. Um, Some of the stories we do on this, it's been 30 years and people continue to look. Um, If I was Colleen, I would just shut out everyone and do what you feel is right. So, Colleen has ultimately sent DNA samples to Interpol, who has opened an investigation into where John is, to match that against any potential bodies that have been found. They did find a body in 2020 um, in the vicinity of Ho Chi Minh City, but so far there's been no update on DNA analysis or anything like that, and, you know, no news is good news. Now, as you read backpacker forums, you realise that John actually went missing once before and it was in the news in South Africa and someone had posted a link to that um, on a backpacker forum. So I will get into that more later and bury the lead on that a little bit. But right now we're going to talk a little bit about a beautiful Southeast Asian country called Vietnam. (laughs) Vietnam is a country in Southeast Asia that sits, it kind of runs alongside Cambodia, Laos and Thailand, um, right up to underneath China, where Hanoi is pretty much right at the top end. It's kind of like that meme where it's like Bosnia and Croatia and it's like, Bosnia, I want to swim. And then Croatia's like, no, because it cuts off the entire peninsula. Um, Vietnam does that to Laos, so they have no coastline. Now, this is a country, as I've said, I've been lucky enough to only visit one city here and little bits outside. And I actually did a whole bus trip right up um, into Cambodia from Ho Chi Minh City. So I've been lucky enough to see a lot of the countryside um, of Vietnam and kind of spend a lot of time, you know, experiencing this amazing country and I only have good things to say about it. I thought it would be terrible. I thought I would hate it. A lot of people really hate Ho Chi Minh City but love Hanoi. I like fell in love with Ho Chi Minh City. The people of Vietnam are friendly and the country is very safe to travel through and that was one thing that I was really misinformed about. People really who didn't know anything put me on the defensive about Vietnam and made out like to only stay within District 1 of Ho Chi Minh City Um, and it's really not like that and having lived in Cambodia, which people freaked out when I went there on a holiday, let alone moved there for a time, people really have the wrong idea and I think all of you have probably been somewhere where people think it's dangerous and it's like... Well, no, because, you know, someone, you know, left me feedback and was like, you know, Mexico is a really warm country that's very safe and a lot of people have the wrong idea about it um, and that kind of thing. Now, Hanoi is in the north and Ho Chi Minh is in the south. um, And Ho Chi Minh is the largest city in Vietnam. And the distance between the two of them is the same as the distance from New York City to Atlanta, Georgia. Vietnam spans over 331,000 square kilometers. It's a super populated country. It's home to 96 million people as of 2019. So I'm sure it'll be verging towards 100 million soon. The currency is the dong, which I found incredibly confusing trying to (coughs) kind of um, um, figure it out in my mind what it was to an Australian dollar. Some places take Uh, US dollars, like in Cambodia. And the language is Vietnamese. But a lot of people, which I will get into, a lot of older people still speak French because it was a French colony for a long time. The majority of people there are Buddhist. And I think that really says a lot towards people's very relaxed, friendly, um, you know, attitude. So historians believe that Vietnam actually dates back to around 3000 BC and is one of the oldest continuing societies in the world, which is really incredible and something that I didn't know until I started researching this. The economy in Vietnam is one of the fastest growing in Southeast Asia and they did plan by 2021 for it to be a developed country. Um, It still is not and I know that people who have been there will be able to picture that a lot of things you see there, like in Cambodia, or I guess Laos, are very, very confronting, because you have to remember that not even 50 years ago, a war raged there that killed millions of people and decimated a lot of, you know, um, the landscape, which is something that when we do Cambodia, I will be going into, you know, on a huge scale. So if you're not sure about what the Vietnam War was, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson. (laughs) And my history teacher from year 11, Mrs. Cohen, will be really happy with this. So Vietnam has been through a lot. So the French colonized them. um, And they colonized then what was considered Indochina from the 1850s. And when you go to Vietnam, you can see a lot of the French influence through its architecture, especially in Ho Chi Minh City, which was once called Saigon. Um, As I said, a lot of the older people still speak French, which I found because I did French for five years, um, I found it kind of okay to speak to older people um, when usually it's the other way around and it's easier to communicate with the younger people. Vietnamese is such a complex language if you've ever seen it even written. So in 1940, Japan took control of Indochina, and we've gone over, you know, Japan taking control of places in previous, you know, episodes, but you have to remember that the war in Europe was going on, but the war in the Pacific was also going on at the same time. In 1945, um, Ho Chi Minh, and you can visit his palace, which I've been to in Ho Chi Minh City, he proclaimed independence, and he established what was then the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, the city of Saigon was then renamed to Ho Chi Minh City, but a lot of people still refer to it as Saigon. And I noticed in Vietnam, a lot most of the locals refer to it as Saigon as well. In 1946, the French tried to regain control of Indochina and in particular, Vietnam. Um, and then that then waged the anti-French resistance war, um, which was also known as the first Indochina war, and that kicked off. So, you know, they've had back-to-back colonisation and issues and then a bit of a bit of respite under Ho Chi Minh City, um, under Ho Chi Minh, and then back to this. So this is when, in 1954, Vietnam was partitioned into the North and the South. And we talked about this on the North Korean episode. This similar thing happened in North Korea, um, although ultimately two very different ends. So the two rival states were basically waged war against each other. And it was essentially a civil war for a very long time. Um, This became known from 1955 onwards as the Vietnam War through to 1975, or some people refer to it as the Second Indochina War, but most people refer to it as the Vietnam War. The US became very involved in this, but the US was on the side of the South because the North was communist. And Basically, they were scared of what was called the domino effect. So basically, they were worried that when we when we were taught this in school, it was very much like when we were taught it that we were doing the right thing by going Australia. <laughs> um, but you see things very differently when you go there and you mature, like you know, and you get a little bit more wisdom. But basically, they were worried that. South Korea would fall and then Indonesia would fall, Malaysia would fall, and then Australia would fall and the domino was going to go all the way down. So that was why Australia became involved because they were scared that this communist rule would eventually reach Australia and (laughs) surprise, surprise, it has since 2020. So North Korea, sorry, North Vietnam was supported by the Soviet Union, China, and North Korea. Surprise, surprise. South South Vietnam was, I guess like the allies, the US, South Korea, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, and the Philippines. And most of those countries used conscription to enlist men into the army to go and serve, including Australia, and they would pull a um, birthday with a year out of a lottery every night on the TV. And if that was yours, um, you would go. Now, the US soldiers took up the majority of the soldiers that were there. And over the course of the Vietnam War, around 50,000 US soldiers were killed. Um, and around 501 Australians, I believe, were killed. I'm not sure of the numbers on um, Thailand. I'm sure them and the Philippines never properly um, had any, you know, documentation. And I'm not sure about New Zealand. I don't think New Zealand sent as many as Australia did. So ultimately, it was very pointless. Um, One by one, the communist forces from the north Got closer and closer and ultimately seized Saigon. And this war, the Vietnam War, you'll often see it referred to if you travel in Cambodia or Laos um, because it spilled over into these neighboring countries um, and they were hit by like aerial strikes and things like that. So there's a lot of people in Cambodia and Laos who were direct victims of the Vietnam War despite not being in Vietnam. So ultimately it was pointless. Um, you know, what was going to happen was going to happen and the North, you know, took control of the South and this 20-year war was just expensive, cost too many lives and was really pointless in the end and people really look at it as the first televised war, um, the first war where they embedded journalists to go with them Um and, you know, the first kind of war that people, as it went on, people really realised, you know, there were more and more moratoriums on it and people realised just how pointless it was becoming. So in 1976, Vietnam was reunified and it became what it is today, the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. And technically it's a communist country or a socialist country. It doesn't fully feel like it when you're there at all. Um, honestly, I don't think you'd even know if you were just travelling as a tourist. It's not like visiting Cuba or North Korea or anything like that. So A lot of people as a result of that, and I'm going back to... Van, um, the Australian Vietnamese kid who trafficked drugs into Singapore and ultimately was executed, Van Tuong Nguyen. His mum was one of the boat people who was one of the hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese refugees who ultimately went to Thailand and then on to Australia and wherever people would take them because, you know, of the fallout of that, but also becoming a communist country. (coughs) Communism, bad. 1949, sorry, 1979, Vietnam became involved in yet another kind of civil war because Cambodia, which we're not going to get into in this episode, but it's something that I have a lot of interest in, they were having their own shit show because the Khmer Rouge was, which was, you know, the army of Pol Pot, one of the worst dictators in living history, um, were basically decimating the population, um, mass genocide of people in Cambodia. So ultimately, Vietnam became involved in that because they invaded Cambodia in 1979 and put an end to Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. Pol Pot ultimately ended up in exile, like in China or something like that, and lived out his life without any retribution, which sucks. And it's something that we will get into because I have a Cambodian episode coming up, which will be fascinating. So basically, this first televised war, the Vietnam War, run from 1955 to 1975, cost endless lives. People don't even know how many. The low estimate um, in total, including soldiers and Vietnamese people and Viet Cong, um, is 1.4 million. And the high end, they believe, is more closer to the truth, and that's 3.5 million. The majority of the victims of this were innocent civilians, men, women, and children. Now, just a little kind of tidbit of information which won't surprise you because you'll know that Vietnam, veterans coming home from Vietnam, I guess, which is kind of represented, I guess, with people like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump and things like that, they were not offered help, mental health help, psychiatric help. They were just put back into the community with all of these horrific things that they'd seen um, for years and years. And kind of the fog of war, I guess. And um, according to a survey by the Veterans Administration, 500,000 of the 3 million US troops who served in Vietnam suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD um, and rates of divorce, suicide, alcoholism and drug addiction were markedly higher among veterans, which will not surprise you. And if you see some of the things that are on display in the... Ho Chi Minh City War Museum. Um, You'll kind of understand what they were up against and what they would have seen, because it's a very confronting museum, which is an incredible thing you have to see when you go to Ho Chi Minh City. Um, And they don't pull any punches. They want you to be shocked and, you know, fucked up in the head when you leave this museum. And you honestly are. Um, Now, the US... Sorry. Um basically today Vietnam has a president and a prime minister and as we've covered in a lot of other countries as much as it doesn't appear that way the communist party in Vietnam has a very strong control of the media um and they pretty much can put sanctions on journalists so it's a very It's what happens in these socialist countries, but then again, it's happening in every country in the world. Um, Socialism is spilling out into every country in the world. I kind of put a note here that movies like Platoon, because I'm really not a fan of of Oliver Stone movies, and my brothers were massively into like Platoon and all of his movies when we were growing up. And I know that he served in Vietnam, and I really get like a really bad taste in my mouth about his movies because he's almost romanticising these things because it's how he saw it. It's like, you know, it was a cool time with his mates out in Vietnam. Um, and I feel like it doesn't touch on the reality of it. It's, it's very strange. I find that movies like Platoon and Forrest Gump really paint a very almost comical picture of what happened in Vietnam. And the reality pales, you know, it, it pales in comparison to what was really going on. Ultimately, the Vietnam War was a long, expensive, and deadly war that achieved literally nothing. Um, the atrocities committed by countries that were serving there, including the US, Australia, um, included rapes and murders of civilians. And I think most people understand that, although a lot of it has been buried over the course of history because, you know, Australia, the West, the US, New Zealand, they really, we really want to paint a picture that we are, you know, good heroes that go into these countries and try to spread democracy. But that's, (laughs) it's really, when you go to the War Museum, I'm just thinking of a couple of pictures I took of pictures um, in the War Museum. I'll put them up on the Patreon. Um, I took some pictures of photographs that were on the wall there of, you know, um, US troops waterboarding little boys and things like that. Um, So, you know, look with caution So one of the worst ones was called the My Lai Massacre. Um, You may have heard of it. That happened in March 1968. US troops murdered at least 504 Vietnamese people, raging in age from children to old people, just civilians living, you know, in their villages, um, minding their own business, caught up in a war that they didn't ask for, um, and it's men and women. And unfortunately, I was reading a study that kind of said that improved technology had really desensitised soldiers during the war. Um, The ability to, I'm not really good with guns and things, but pump, you know, keep shooting, Um, I guess machine guns and things like that meant that they were really like switched off from what was really happening. And I guess that was one of the very early cases of soldiers coming back with PTSD because a lot of you may know that a lot of them got hooked on opium you know, or heroin there um, in Vietnam, not just as a way to numb themselves for what was going on, but as a way to pass the time because opium is so widely grown there. It's part of the golden triangle and it's where a lot of the drugs, you know, come through, um, Are you know, i.e. the Van Tuong Nguyen case. Um, it's all, it's all very interesting and I, I highly recommend just going to Ho Chi Minh City. I couldn't recommend it more. Um, it's an incredible city and I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of memories from there and not of, not all of them are good. Um, but as the New York Times pointed out in one of their articles about this, the Viet Cong also committed atrocities against their own people. So no one's really in the right here. Now, if you've heard of Agent Orange, um, this was a herbicide. They would use it to clear forests um, or thick foliage so that they could see if the Viet Cong were, you know, hiding in the jungle. Um, The US claims that they did not know the effect that it would have, not just on the immediate people's health who were inhaling it um, or getting it into their skin, but on future generations Um, later researchers found that they did know exactly what it was doing so exposure to ancient orange is associated with a lot of diseases not just in the person who survived it when the war was going on but it has been found to be passed through from men um you know male fertility through to their children um I'm just thinking of things that I saw in Vietnam. Um, it can lead to diabetes. Studies have found Parkinson's disease, a number of different kinds of cancers, particularly prostate cancer, B-cell leukemias, um, heart disease, Hodgkin's lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, a wide variety of them. Now, <clears throat> if You were a US soldier. I don't know if other countries qualify for this, but if you were exposed to Agent Orange during your military service in Vietnam, um, you qualify for, like, veterans' disability because they know what it did. Um, The Ken Burns documentary series, The Vietnam War, you may know about Ken Burns' um, documentary, and this goes over all of it in amazing detail. What I was going to say was when I was in Ho Chi Minh City, I was really, really shocked um, by the number of people with physical abnormalities. I've never seen anything like it. And I remember writing to my mum on Facebook and saying, because she's a physiotherapist, I said, you should come here because people could really like use your help because they have like forest Gump braces on their legs um, and things like that. And people have no arms, no legs, arms growing out of their backs. Um, the immediate effects of Agent Orange on you know, families. And there was one guy who I went with a friend of mine who did not enjoy Vietnam. She doesn't like homeless people or poor people. And we ultimately had a massive fight and we parted ways. (laughs) Um, and she was complaining every time they'd come up and ask you for money and things like that. And there was a guy with a little briefcase, um, and he had no arms, no legs, and he had a arm growing out at the middle of his back. Um, and he would carry this briefcase like around everywhere with him all day just somehow getting around on the streets in district one where all the tourists are you know asking people to buy cigarettes so I would buy my cigarettes off him every day and we would see him all day all night like when we would come back from somewhere a day tour he'd still be there big smile on his face and um One night we were out and we were at this little bar with these little seats and he came like past and there was a table full of like American frat guys sitting next to us and they all started calling him names and picking on him and stuff and I felt physically sick and then the next day my friend and I went to a day tour um, for the Coochie Tunnels which is, it was kind of the last, it's a day trip you can do. It's a couple of hours outside of Ho Chi Minh City in, you know, the jungle, basically. And it's very commercialized now, but they basically take you to where the Viet Cong had their last stronghold against the Americans. And they show you all the things that this village made, you know, trapdoors that fell down to spears in the ground and all this like really ingenious stuff. Um, and this is not me sliding Americans at all, because it could have easily been fucking Australians saying this or anyone from the West. Um, but we were on this tour with this really nice, perky, young Vietnam guy showing us all these things. Um, I'll put a few of my pictures in Patreon for patrons. Um, and <laughs> I took a photo of this couple actually, as they walked away, it was a couple on their honeymoon kind of feral, um, American couple. And, um, they were like turning their noses up at everything the tour guide was saying. And <laughs> he said, what's your problem? And they said, we were just trying to educate you. So, yeah, and then my friend said to me, one of the last laughs we had on this terrible trip, which is a whole other story, um, she said, let's drag him into the jungle and fucking kill him. <laughs> like, And I was like, I will. We even took photos of him, like, because I put it on Facebook at the time. I was like the two dumbest, most ignorant fucks on the planet. Um, and I don't think they're listening to this podcast. But, you know, most of the bad experiences, behavior I saw, you know, in these countries were Australians, Americans, um, and the Brits (laughs) and the Irish maybe. Um, but I just remember those experiences there and I'll never get them out of my head because people's lives are terrible there. Um, the average person earns, um, $140 a month. Yeah. So it's not good. So anyway, back to this. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard to believe just 45 years after the official end to the Vietnam War that tourists are visiting this country in droves, including tourists from the country countries that committed atrocities against these people, including Australia. Um, it's hard to believe. I remember me and my friend were talking about it when we were there. We were like, we're just allowed to come here and they're nice to us despite what we've done here. Um, it just, it's, they're a very very lovely people. Um, and tourism is an important driver in Vietnam. It's one of the biggest, you know, economic, you know, drivers. So the last year is probably hell, um, for the Vietnamese. In 2019, 18 million international tourists touched down in Vietnam. But in 2020, when all this shit kicked off, the entire total was $3 And you can imagine that people who rely on selling things on the street, you know, when you're at a bar and they come around at like 2 in the morning selling you weird stuff and you buy it because you're drunk, um, those people have lost all that income. And I've thought about them a lot over the last year, especially people that I know in Cambodia um, and Thailand, and I just don't even know how they're getting through it. At its peak, Vietnam – ranked 28th in the world um, in terms of international tourism. So that was only a couple of years ago. So it's the 28th most visited country in the world. So that tells you a lot about how popular Southeast Asia is now for tourists on, you know, the Backpacker Trail. So now we're going to talk about Mushfiq Daniels. Mushvik Daniels um, was also a teacher from South Africa, but from everything I can find, he was from Cape Town, although no one really specifies. Information on this is really sketchy. He went missing on the 5th of July 2019, so around a month and a half after John did, and he was also in Ho Chi Minh City. He was 28 when he vanished, and he would have just turned 30 in April this year. There is a very active Facebook group to Find Mushfiq called Find Mushfiq. It's M-U-S-F-I-Q-H-C-M-C. So Find Mushfiq, H-C-M-C, meaning Ho Chi Minh City. He too was teaching in the country. I'm not sure exactly where um, or if he was at the time that he vanished. And his mum, Fahima, also had to go to Vietnam. And she went there and searched for him for months and months. She was actually so stressed from this that when she was in Vietnam, she had a heart attack. So there you go. Um, He did not know John um, Bothma as far as we know. I personally don't think they knew each other at all. They were from different cities in South Africa and it's a very slim likelihood they would have known each other um, in Vietnam as well. It's almost 100 million people and a million teachers who were from other countries, So Colin Bothma and Mushfiq's mum, Fahima Abrahams, have actually formed a tight bond through their obvious, you know, things that they have in common. Um, Mushfiq came from Cape Town and he was a teacher. As I said, he was 28 when he went missing. The only thing that him and John had in common was that they both took time out from school or teaching in South Africa, albeit very different parts of South Africa, to go to Vietnam to teach, which thousands of people do every year. Mushfiq's Instagram is still up. It has some really beautiful photos of his travels before he vanished. These take you through Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam. They're just beautiful. Um, his username is Mushfiq Daniel, so M U S H F I Q D A N I E L S. Just so, just his name. Now, they start in in Asia around March, 2019. So I think he'd only been there for a few months. Now, one thing I did notice is that he went missing in July. So from March, when he got there, he was uploading photos all the time. Um, and that continues up till May, 2019. And then he doesn't post regularly at all all like after that he doesn't post after May 2019 but before that he was all the time so you would think that if he was having a good time or you know loving it there he would want to keep putting up pictures it's like something happened in that last month and a bit that he was there um, and I don't really want to speculate I'm not really sure this is one of those cases where I I just don't know. Um, on the day that Mushfiq disappeared, a friend took a photo of him, and that's the photo that I have for this episode. Um, it, you'll see it if you're on Spotify. The only issue that I have with it is that he's wearing sunglasses, as is John in a couple of pictures that they have put out there. Um, unfortunately, the one of Mushfiq with his sunnies, he looks very different, I think, without them. So that one is out there because it was the last time he was seen. His mum believes that he suffered some sort of breakdown, which I also believe. According to IOL.ZA, she said, quote, On the day he was photographed, he appeared distressed, unquote. So when he was last seen, he was wearing red shorts. He had a backpack slung over his shoulder. Now, his mum said that on July 5th, she received a message, I'm not sure who from, I think probably a friend that he was travelling with, Um, just saying that Mushfiq had had a breakdown at an Airbnb that they were staying at. Fahima, his mum, said, quote, they tried to help him and he ran away. He was then spotted on the the street, bare feet and bare-chested, and that's why they contacted me again. We left Cape Town immediately and landed in Vietnam, unquote. Now, that reminds me so much (laughs) of um Ryan Chambers who went missing in India that we did way back on episode 5 bare feet bare chest having having a breakdown you know walking out of where you were staying um very similar things and that always brings me back you know obviously to long term drug use or extended drug use but as listener Marissa kind of talked about, which I'll talk about when I play a voicemail next week. Ryan was at the perfect age for the onset of schizophrenia. And I wonder if, if Mushfiq, you know, also was, because he was around the same age. His mum said that the last time she spoke to Mushfiq, he told her that he was tired and that he was coming home because he had on coming home soon. Um, and she said, I didn't expect this to happen. Now the Facebook that they run follows up sightings, posts them, you know, as they happen, that as they come through, none have ever been confirmed as Mushfiq. Um, his mum said that often the sightings turned out to be Pakistanis or Bangladeshi's because Mushfiq, you know, has very dark skin. Um, I believe he might be a Muslim because a lot of the sightings that they've put up is a man that looks like him at a mosque. Um, so I'm not sure if they think that he might be drawn to a mosque if he's still out there. His mum spent five months in Vietnam searching for Mushfiq and there was absolutely nothing beyond when he ran out of that Airbnb. Um, She said, quote, the problem is that you just don't get closure. I have to be strong, unquote. She's back in Cape Town because obviously the last year, Vietnam's not letting in tourists and things like that. The family for Mushfiq has a fundraising page I will link on the Unknown Passage website. According to allafrica.com, as I said, Fahima had like a minor heart attack because of the stress that this brought on, um, the physical stress, which, you know, is something that you hear about. Mushfiq, I have never really do this, um, but if you're out there, I I can tell how much people love you, you know, from writing on your page Um, because there's not as much to go on for John. Um, There's not that online community, but I can say this about Mushfiq, how much he meant to people. Um, If you were out there and you were listening to this, people love you and they want you to come home. Um, So, yeah. So that's the end of Mushfiq's story, um, which is really disheartening because there was just nothing from when he went out of that Airbnb, um, in Ho Chi Minh City. And it's crazy because it's such a busy city and you think that someone would see something. But then again, you think not necessarily because there's so many people. If you've been there, you just don't stand out in a crowd unless you're really pale um, like me. Um, I don't think he would because there's a very kind of um, diverse ethnic group in Vietnam and quite a lot of Indians and Bangladeshis and Pakistanis. So maybe he just wouldn't stand out. So now I'm going to bring you back to John Bothmer, where we left off. His mum, Colleen, had gone to look for him. He had disappeared from Ho Chi Minh City, but he was teaching English in Hanoi. Now, when I kind of infiltrated these expat groups, I realised A couple of things. Um, So, one of the people wrote on this expat group when someone had posted, This guy is missing in Ho Chi Minh City, has anyone seen him? Because that's a really good source to use, um, these expat groups, because they always seem to kind of click up with other expats there. Someone wrote back, This guy went missing before. (laughs) Um, So, they were right and they linked this um, article, which I'm going to read to you. um, And In December 2016, it was a news article for John, and it's John Bothmer, same one, um, that he's been missing for a week. And this is dated the 14th of December, 2016. So it's just short of three years before he vanished in Vietnam. But this time it's in South Africa. So I'm going to read you this article, and it's from the Rudaport record. And I believe Rudaport is where he was living at the time. John Colin Bothmer, believed to be either in his late 20s or early 30s, has been missing since the 7th of December. Now, I just want to stop there because the picture is him, um, but they got the date wrong. It's really strange because around this time, he would have been in like his late teens, um, early 20s, but they got late 20s, early 30s. I think it's just really poor proofreading, but I'll continue. He's been missing since the 7th of December, 2016. So at the time of writing this, he'd been missing for a week. Quote, he has an average build, brown hair and dark green eyes. He has a scar on his lip and a birthmark on his back. He weighs about 95 kilos and he's 162 centimetres tall. He wears spectacles with a blue frame. Again, they got the weight wrong and they got the height wrong. Way shorter than what he actually is, I believe. He was last seen in Wel- Welteverden Park, at about 10 p.m., he was wearing a grey-black T-shirt, navy blue jeans, a Billabong shirt, and purple shoes. Anyone with information as to his whereabouts can contact blah 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 blah. And it's the sergeant's name and the number. Now, it is him, and there's a picture of him. Um, and it, it's just um, it's just a crazy thing because he'd been missing for a week, about just short of three years before he went missing in Vietnam. And there's no follow-up. So, obviously, they found him. So, whatever happened, happened. And he just wasn't in contact with home. Maybe it's just one of those things where he was just staying at a friend's and, you know, the parents listed him as missing with the police when he'd been in contact with them. I have no idea because there was no there was no follow-up to that. But I see that all the time on missing persons things in Australia. It's like, so-and-so's missing. And then five minutes later, so-and-so's been found. Um, so, I looked up where this welter. of Freddon Park is. And it's a suburb of Rudaport, South Africa, that's in the Johannesburg region. And that place is mentioned in another article referencing John. So we know it's the same John Bothmer. Now, clearly John was found and 2.5 years later, he is gone again in Vietnam. And that's where I got further information in this expats community, where whoever ran the expats online forum had got text messages around the time that John went missing in Vietnam, giving more information. So they put up these text messages from this person who lives, you know, in central Ho Chi Minh City. And the person's name, I'm not going to say it, but it's like kind of like a Spanish name. So there might be an expat living there. Um, But I'm just going to read these text messages to you that they had sent to this person. I was today at the hostel where he was last, where he was seen last time. He said he was going to withdraw some money to pay the hostel and he disappeared. I have looked for him in parks and places nearby, but we didn't see him. I'm pretty sure it's a matter of time and he will show up. Furthermore, he left things in his room. He said he was going to withdraw money to pay and never came back. These are words from the receptionist and this is the hostel and they put a picture of the front of the hostel. He did check in. I have a picture of his passport. And yesterday I was with a friend looking for him. And then he sent through him taking a photo of John Bothmer's passport and it's the right John Bothmer. So basically this person kind of fleshes out what happened when John went missing. He was meant to be leaving this hostel he was staying at and his stuff was still in his room. And he was meant to pay his remaining amount that he owed for his stay there um, and he said, hang on, I'm just going to go to the ATM and then he was gone. I find that very strange because, Ho Chi Minh City is such an overpopulated place. If you had jumped at the ATM or something like that happened, believe me, like someone would see something and really the average person there is not going to do that. In fact, my experience in Vietnam was that people, locals generally will look out for you. So I think the people who were texting this got the feeling that John Bothmer had done a runner. Um, but that's very strange because a hostel room in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, so 2011, when I was there, I got like a single room for like $7 in like a three-star place. Um, you could get a bed in a hostel um, just a couple of years ago for a couple of dollars. So he couldn't have owed that much. And you've got to think he left all his stuff behind. And he also left his passport behind. And these are the things that you need. Is that worth leaving behind to do a runner? It's really strange. Um, So then the plot continued to thicken. So when I was searching, sometimes I put things into Reddit and search because there's communities in there. And I got a hit in the forum on Reddit or subreddit, which is Vietnam. Um, And I'm going to read this to you. Now, I'm going to leave this woman's name out because they reference a woman in it. And it was a woman that was seeing John Bothmer for a while when he was in Vietnam and I don't know the circumstances, she's a lot older than him. I don't want to name her because I personally don't think she's got anything to do with it. And she's been quoted in articles as saying that the fact that John went missing and she was going out with him has ruined her life because people think she did something. So basically this is titled on Reddit, John Bothmer probably just ghosted, and then it has the woman's name. I'm sure this is something you can look up, but I just don't want to be held responsible. So I'm going to read this to you. All over the expat Facebook pages, middle-aged woman meets artsy troubled 22 year old Fall in love. She leaves to go on a European holiday with her friends from the class of 96 and he ghosts her has reportedly been spotting retur- has reportedly been spotted returning to hostel that he's holding his passport over a 1.2 million um, Vietnamese dong bill. Enjoy your binge Johnny Boy, you idiot unquote. <laughs> so are you confused yet? Yep. So this is where I got confused because it brings this woman into the equation that John is seeing and she's like 30 years older than John from what I can find. Um, I don't know how they met. I don't know how long they were seeing each other, but my kind of digging, journalistic digging into this, um, it couldn't have been for that long. But She also, from what I can find, this woman never lived in Vietnam. Um, She lives in another country. So I think it was just kind of like a little fling. So people started writing on this Reddit thread, like kind of speculating what was going on. And so I thought there's got to be something further out there about this woman. And there was. Now, before I get into this woman's version of events who was seeing John in Vietnam for a bit, um, I just want to say that I want to kind of fix an issue. (laughs) This is getting very confusing. So basically there's a guy that's involved in this who's kind of been looking into John and Mushfiq's disappearances and he runs an organisation in Ho Chi Minh City. And I will get into him in a little bit, but he believes that they both were connected to each other, that they both somehow knew each other, and that they both knew this same American woman, right, that I'm not going to name. Now, this is a completely wrong article. Everything I have found says that it's wrong. Um, An article from the George Herald, which is in South Africa, says that this is completely wrong. Um, It was basically like a communication or translation breakdown. Basically, I want to say before I get into anything about this woman, is that there is no evidence Mushfiq and John knew each other. All that they had this woman in common. So I'm going to read to you from the George Herald. Quote, the 51-year-old woman from Kineshna who has contacted George Herald to speak out on behalf of, I'm going to have to give her a name, I'm going to say Sarah, befriended the American in Vietnam while they were both teaching English. The friend, who we will call Sue, asked that her name be withheld for fear of victimisation on social media. Sarah has been subject to extreme attacks on Facebook since Bothma disappeared. Sue, who returned to Africa in April this year, met Sarah and Bothma as a couple when she arrived in Vietnam early in 2019. Sarah is about my age and a wonderful, soft person who won't hurt a fly. She is thoughtful and generous and loves buying her friends present, presents. She was very good to John and they had lots of fun together. Unquote. So I kind of get the feeling this is kind of like a sugar mama kind of situation. Um, I've looked up like her online and stuff. A lot of people have this idea that because she was way older than him and they were seeing each other because they were both in Vietnam, that she's somehow involved in his disappearance. I just want to say from the outset, I do not at all. I don't get that vibe off her. And I think she's as much of a victim In this, as anyone, and I'm not going to judge their relationship or their age gap. I totally believe her when she says that this has like ruined her life, people speculating. So that's why I'm giving her the pseudonym Sarah. The George Herald goes on to talk about how not long before John went missing, he was talking with his aunt back in South Africa just about what was going on in his life. And he told his auntie about the possibility of getting a new job about 70 kilometres from Ho Chi Minh City. According to her, he texted to her, quote, I am going down. I asked what he meant and he replied, down to Ba Ria, unquote. Now, Ba Ria is a place which is not far from a place called Vung Tau. which if anyone knows anything about kind of beach areas of Vietnam, it's like an hour from Ho Chi Minh City. It's kind of like an urban beach area that's a bit like a get away for people who live in Ho Chi Minh City without going too far away. So that's where Baria is. It's very popular with tourists. Um, and there's always a lot of opportunities for tourists to get jobs there as well. So that is possible. Now, I just want to say that his mum, Colleen, in her interview says that she, the last time she spoke to him, he said the same thing to her, I'm going down. But she said he meant it like, I'm going down... Like, something bad's going to happen. Shit's going to go down. Um, And I'm just... This is why this story is so confusing because I think there's a lot of translation issues and a lot of communication issues. Um, Now, according to his auntie, he once again said to her the last time he spoke to her, I'm going down. And then he said that he was going to go to Cambodia for a job interview, which opens up a whole other country, you know, to look for him in. She asked John if he was feeling down, and he said that he was quote-unquote pensive, which means, you know, thoughtful. Um, so basically, I think there's a lot of like communication issues, and that's one of the issues with this this whole story. But long story short, John goes from South Africa, teaches in Hanoi. For some reason, he's in Ho Chi Minh. I don't think he was fully honest with his family back home, what he was doing, but he's a big boy, so he doesn't have to. He's going out with a woman much older than him. Maybe she was giving him money. That's just my speculation. I don't know. We do know that he was hard up for money, which I will get into. Um, And then he says that he's going for a job in one part. And then he says that he's going to Cambodia for another job. And he's been missing for over two years now. So his auntie also said um, that John had to do a visa run to Cambodia because he's visa was expiring um, and he had to get a new one because basically he was going to go on a trip back to South Africa for a trip and then he was going to go back to Vietnam and he didn't want anything to fuck up the potential of coming back. Now, I will explain what a visa run is in a minute if you're not familiar with it. So, John would have turned 23 the month after he went missing on the 26th of June. He would have turned 23 in 2019 and today he would be um, 25. So, basically, his much older girlfriend, who we're calling Sarah, and her friend, who seems to be speaking for her, it's all very strange, Um, basically, they told the George Herald back in South Africa that John Bothmer had had some problem with some South African friends in Vietnam with bad habits, that's a quote, but he had, quote, cleaned up his act a month before he disappeared and started living a squeaky clean life. He did not drink or use any substances. He went jogging and ate protein. He was really focused on his health. Unquote. So he seems to be like mixed up with South Africans in Vietnam, and I, I don't know if he knew them from back home. There's just not enough information. Um, now, this woman who's speaking for Sarah goes on to say that the amount of alcohol um, that the young foreigners and foreign teachers in Vietnam that they consume is worrisome. She said, quote, bad things can happen if they drink so much, unquote. Now, is that her covering her tracks, trying to put ideas in people's heads? Is that just an older person kind of looking at younger people and how much they drink? You do drink way more when you're in these countries. I'm not going to disagree with her. So this woman also said that John was strapped for cash um, and that he had jokingly spoken about selling one of his kidneys for money. Now, this is where the organ harvesting thing comes in because if you believe this woman and Sarah, the much older girlfriend, John was joking when he was saying that he was going to sell one of his kidneys. Now, if you believe this guy from like a charity that is looking for John and is an expert in organ, har- organ harvesting, his belief is that John was serious um, and they knew he was serious. So you can earn up to 200,000 US dollars for a kidney. To me, not worth it. Um, just in case the other one packs it in, just don't do it. Um, this woman who was speaking for Sarah says she doesn't know where John Bothma got the idea to sell an organ to make money in Vietnam and that she and Sarah immediately like slammed the idea and basically told him that he was an idiot and that it was a dumb idea. She said, quote, I told him it was the silliest thing ever. He's a youngster and thinks a million rand is a lot of money. But I told him that the money would quickly be gone and that he would be minus a kidney. I did not give it another thought and wrote it down to idle talk by an immature boy, unquote, which, yeah, because, you know, guys, young guys say all this kind of shit. My brother used to say all this kinds of stuff. It doesn't really surprise me. So she then said that basically the police had not even looked up John's phone records. If they had, they would be able to track his movements in the days leading up to when he was last heard from. He often used a taxi service called Grab, which could be similar to Uber. They hadn't looked into that. Um, And she says that she knows like up until the 18th where he was. Um, He was still in Ho Chi Minh City. So this was like three days after Colin, his mum, claims that she last heard from him. I think John was into a bit of stuff over there. Um, I can't judge him. I wouldn't do those kinds of things in a country like that. Um, You know, young guys, you see them doing crazy stuff all the time. So this woman also provided... um, sorry, Sarah, I guess, provided the George Herald in South Africa with a WhatsApp conversation that was between her um, and John. And it was the last time that she spoke to him. And she also provided um, a WhatsApp conversation between John and a couch surfing host because he was meant to stay on a couch surfing person's couch on the 18th of May. Um, But earlier that night, he cancelled that stay because Basically, she shows the text and it says, like, I'm at a party and I can't make it. Thanks anyway for the offer. Um, So, yeah, it's all very confusing whether he turned back up, you know, and paid off his bill at that hostel or whatever. This is probably the most convoluted one I've told so far. Now, this is how we get into the idea of organ harvesting or organ trafficking. So, There is a guy called Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman, and he runs a South African humanitarian organization called Gift of the Givers. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because he's not an expert in Vietnam. Um, He is a South African humanitarian, different continent, and may not have an understanding of how things work in Vietnam or what the real likelihood is that someone's going to harvest your organs. His Quotes make it seem like he does not believe a word these two American women say um, and that he thinks that they had something to do with it. He also makes these claims that Mushfiq and John knew each other, that both of them had connections um, to both of the boys and from everything I can find that's just simply not true and it just damages both of their stories more because he's just making it even more convoluted He said that since John disappeared, quote, the behaviour of one of the women who was said to be close to him was particularly suspicious, with Suleiman saying her lack of emotion struck him as strange. In addition, Suleiman says both women have lied about their whereabouts and relationship with the men. It's a clear case that if there is nobody found, then it is either a hostage situation or they've been taken for the harvesting of organs. This guy's nuts. It's a highly sophisticated process where they need to have doctors and a donor present. The night that he, John Bothmer, disappeared, he spoke to his auntie and she said that he sounded very down. She said that he told her that he was going down and that his relationship with one of the American women was a mistake, which was not quoted by the auntie earlier at all. So, things keep getting added to this story, you know. According to Suleiman, the woman told the same aunt that Botham was considered considering selling a kidney, which he said was indicative of her having slipped up. So, this guy thinks that if there's no body found and someone vanishes, that person's either being kept hostage or that they're being taken for the harvesting of their organs. That's a quote. He doesn't think that they could have had an accident, fallen off a cliff, drowned in a lake. Their body just hasn't been found. This guy's like quotes are crazy to me. And I know that people involved in this case, in the families, think he's crazy as well from everything that I can find. He also adds things into stories that literally from quotes that his auntie said, she just didn't say that his relationship with her was a mistake and things like that there's no evidence in other quotes from his auntie that that was said um he takes this kidney thing where john could have been joking and makes it into a very serious thing where john was considering selling his kidney and i just want to say that also again he's south african he's not in vietnam um so he can't possibly comment on this Um, The Reddit thread that I was on also said that his couch surfing profile was logged in around the day he was last seen, which kind of ties in with what I was just talking about, how he cancelled that. So this is where I went down the road of looking up about organ harvesting in Vietnam, because we've touched on this before. I can't remember what episode it was. I believe it was China, like forced organ harvesting, Um, or it could have been Sweden, (laughs) I think it was. Um, So I found this guy called Michael Brosowski, and he's the co-founder of a Vietnam based non-government organization called Blue Dragon. And this group exists to help to combat human trafficking and assist its victims. Now, I just want to say that human trafficking in Vietnam is more likely than organ harvesting. A lot of you will remember, you know, that Essex truck driver where they found, like, 39 bodies of poor Vietnamese people who just wanted to make it to the UK, frozen solid in the back. No, they, they like, sweltered to death. There was no air. It's just terrible. Um, now, this really puts it in perspective, kind of, what he said in this article where he was interviewed by the diplomat. So they ask him, quote, The media has recently reported on a number of organ trafficking cases in Vietnam. Are you you able to tell me about any case studies or know of actual numbers? And he said, quote, Vietnam doesn't have any official data on the issue. However, since the new penal code came into effect in 2018 with Article 154, trading and appropriation of human tissue or body parts, Vietnam Vietnamese authorities have investigated and prosecuted several organ trafficking rings. They tend to operate in major cities like Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, where larger hospitals are located. Through groups on social media, especially Facebook, brokers recruit potential victims and generally people in some serious financial difficulty. Brokers help them prepare voluntary organ donation documents and match them with receivers for operations in Vietnam, China and Cambodia. We don't have a lot of experience in this field. Much of what we know is from local media. But in July 2020, Blue Dragon provided legal representation for a victim of an organ trafficking case in court. The offender was sentenced to five years in prison and had to pay the victim 60 million Vietnamese dong in compensation. The broker sold a kidney himself some years ago and knew how things operated. However, the broker did not pay him $150 million Vietnamese dong as promised and the victim was left with kidney disease. In January 2019, Vietnamese police arrested an organ trafficking ring who were believed to have brokered for more than 100 people to sell and buy kidneys, but the actual number might be much higher, including 20 people who were preparing to sell kidneys and staying in the ring shelter. The ring was caught when they were going back from China to Vietnam with 11 victims. This indicates that there's some substantial issue here, unquote. So... It's not that it doesn't happen, like it does happen. They just don't have enough, you know, data yet. Um, He does go on to say that, you know, human trafficking, not organ harvesting, but human trafficking, it's not something that just happens to poor people in Vietnam. He said it's happened to tourists, um, people with money, all kinds of things. Um, So, yeah, keep that in mind. I'm not someone who jumps to organ harvesting immediately. I think I've said that on previous episodes. It would be really hard for a random who's not a local there, who may not know a whole lot of people to have the contacts to kind of tee up where to get his or his kidney taken out so he can sell it. I also don't think you'd get that much money for it in Vietnam. And life, you know, you can go on living with one kidney, but it's, you know, better to have two. So I looked into kind of how many people immigrate to Vietnam, how many Vietnamese people leave Vietnam. I kind of was looking for numbers on how many people live off the grid in Vietnam and just overstay. So earlier I said that I was going to talk about what a visa run was. So this is where you know I'm going to talk about it. So I think there's only a few thousand expats living in Vietnam from other parts of the world. But in droves Vietnamese flee Vietnam for better opportunities because the average income is $140 a month, which is nothing. Um, Immigrants moving to Vietnam for a job with a big multinational company or global company can live cheap and earn a lot. And, you know, like we talked about on the previous episodes with Odette Hofton and those in Himachal Pradesh in India, you know, local Expats moving there to work for overseas companies are always going to be earning more. In comparison to their massive population, Vietnam doesn't have a lot of long-term missing people. It's only a couple of thousands. So either they're fudging the numbers or there's really not a whole lot of missing people. Maybe it's hard to go missing when you're like shoulder to shoulder with people, you know, in your cities. Now, in order to move to Vietnam, and I thought this was really kind of important Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia are all very different. And I dealt with visas in Cambodia. Um, Thailand is very hard to move there permanently unless you're going to live illegally, which a lot of people do. Um, Cambodia, you can get a business visa pretty easily. That's what I did to teach English. And Vietnam is very kind of on par with Cambodia. It's a bit more accessible than Thailand to move. Now, they don't have what's called a retirement visa. Thailand has retirement visas where older people with a certain amount of money of retirement age can move there to retire, which is a really good option to make your you know, savings last. Um, but in Vietnam, there are more options to actually go there. And I know a lot of people who have worked there. So you can get a tourist visa, which is valid for about one month when you arrive there. You can organise it before you fly out of your home country or when you, you know, get to Vietnam. And basically, this allows you to stay, travel around Vietnam for, you know, one month, it doesn't allow you to go out and then re-enter. You have to get a multiple entry visa to do that. And I'm not sure what John came in on. He could have come in on a tourist visa, you know, and just kept doing visa runs. So what's a visa run? So this is a term that if you've been to Asia or you've lived there, which a lot of you have, you'll be familiar with. It's basically the roundabout way of ensuring that you're not kicked out permanently. So If you get a visa for, say, three months, a business visa, or you get a longer tourist visa and get one for three months, which apparently you can do now, and things have changed since I was in Vietnam, basically, in order to make sure that you're doing the right thing, and this is totally legal in Vietnam, but it's, like, illegal in Thailand. It's really strange. You leave the country on the nearest border You go into a new country, which for those in Vietnam, it's usually Cambodia, and then you come back in. So you have to be out for, I think, 24 hours. So cross the border, I think the border where they cross from Ho Chi Minh City is there's a lot of... um, casinos there. And I'm not sure if I'm remembering that properly, but I crossed that border and there's a lot of like places you can gamble. So people cross the border, stay for 24 hours and then re-enter the country and you get a whole new fresh visa. And that's a visa run. And when I was living in Cambodia, people did it a lot. Vietnam is very similar to Cambodia in the sense that you can just apply from within the country to extend your visa, but it's way more costly. It's actually cheaper to leave the country for like 24 hours and come back in. Thailand, they're more likely to get you doing that. They're really trying to crack down on it. Um, But Vietnam, it's totally legal, even though, you know, the border guys and customs, they know what you're doing and they're usually not happy about it, but it is totally legal and permissible. And then you get a new three-month visa. So it's a painful way to live, really. I knew a lot of people who had to live like this, you know, every three months going to the border, exiting and then re-entering again. But really, there's no other way around it. Um, If you want to save money, the cost can be really high to do it through a travel agent from within Vietnam. And there's a lot of scammers as well. Um, And I came into contact with a lot of people who had been scammed. Um, So basically, I saw that this year... They are tightening the process of visa runs. Vietnam's, (laughs) they're they're over the whole visa run thing. Um, They've had people doing it for decades and they're done with it. They want people to not be able to renew tourist visas and get extensions on business visas anymore. And that spells disaster for people who are living there at the moment as Expats who are on tourist visas and do the visa run thing. And I think it's a really bad choice for Vietnam, especially when they want expats moving there and they want money rolling in when borders open again. And I think it's a really poor choice. Now, how does this tie into John Bothmer? So I looked up what the nearest. Border to do a visa run would be from Ho Chi Minh City. Because if you remember, John said that he would have to very soon do a visa run. Now, I looked it up and it's what I thought it was. It's called the Mok Bai border. This is about 80 kilometers away from Ho Chi Minh City. It's the border with Cambodia. um, And basically, expats on this border can cross over, (laughs) line up again and come back into Vietnam. I know it seems insane, um, but that's what a visa run is. Officials aren't stoked about it, but it's completely legal. Um, So if he was going to cross over to Cambodia and do a visa run, this is the closest one and the one that they all go by. But if he ended up in Cambodia, did he stay there? Is he still there? you know, did he come back? It seems like it would be something where he would cross and you can come back in instantly, he would do it, right? Um, So, I just find that really interesting. There's no mention of Mushfiq going to Cambodia or anything like that. Um, John is more of an enigma to me. He's more of a mystery. Um, So, now when I wrap it up, I'm going to tell you kind of some of my own thoughts. So, I just want to say anything that I say is pure speculation, of course, and... If the families of these two young men happen to hear this and want to come on the podcast, um, feel free, absolutely. So first off, mushfik There's not enough to go on in terms of Mushfiq Daniel's story, but it did just stand out to me, his Instagram, that it was suddenly just stopped in May, despite the fact that he was still travelling. Something kind of flipped for him around that time because it was a very quick switch from sharing all the time to really not. I still don't think these two young men knew each other or had anything to do with each other. I think that guy from that organisation is a little bit nuts. considering he's operating this organization from South Africa, but it's he's an expert in Vietnam. I don't really get it. Um, men at that age are the right age for the onset of schizophrenia, which we've talked about in the Ryan Chambers episode and other episodes, or drug-induced psychosis because, you know, in countries like that, it is very cheap to drink. It's easy to get drugs. Um, it's the golden triangle. You're constantly offered them by people on the street. And if you've got vices, it's not really a place you want to go. Um, you've kind of got to have a pretty strong backbone. I don't know where Mushfiq is. It's funny with these two cases because you're normally when I research something, I can kind of, not in a clairvoyant way, but like in my mind's eye, I can kind of picture what I think. And for both of these men, it's just kind of gray. I don't really know what I think. And that's very rare. I usually have a kind of formed idea when I've looked into something for so long. John's story is more convoluted. I don't know if when he went missing in South Africa if this was something that he regularly did. I can't tell you what he was involved in, but he does sound like he was desperate for money. Um and that he was hanging out with some bad people and this is from the horse's mouth. This is from people that he was hanging out with there. Um It sounded insane to me that he would sell a kidney when I first started looking into this and that I thought he was joking. But once I read about how many people willingly do this across the world and how Vietnam only recently started organ donations in hospitals, it didn't seem so crazy to me anymore. Sometimes people get desperate and you have no idea what your limit is when you are that desperate. Sometimes we say stuff that appears in jest when it's closer to the truth. And sometimes we make out to people that things are okay when they're not. And I've been guilty of that, especially, you know, when I've been living overseas as well. You don't want to like upset your family back home and have them worrying about you when you're on the other side of the world, even though things are really bad. I do know that even if they are out there, the last year with lockdowns would have made it incredibly tough for them to get around, to do anything, to make money, um, to get by making money under the table or really to get by at all. And honestly, in my gut, I think that both of these young men would have contacted home if they were able to, um, even John. And I definitely think Mushfiq would have. Both of these men were in regular contact with Back Home, and I'm kind of getting used to this kind of story on this podcast. um, And I kind of get the idea when people go missing just suddenly, it's usually not because they just dropped off the grid. It's usually because something's happened. I don't know what my gut feeling is. When I wrote all my notes, my gut feeling was that both of them were alive. um, And I don't know. I do kind of think that both of them maybe are out there. And I can only hope that if Mushfiq was in a bad way, um, for whatever reason. And he doesn't know who he is that he's taken in by a nice family who is helping him. And eventually he can make his way back home. Um, John, I'm not sure because he could have crossed into Cambodia. He could have gone to Vietnam. (laughs) He could still be in Vietnam. He could, he could have gone, you know, to Thailand, um, to the border there. He could have gone for a job in Cambodia. He seemed to not give people the full picture of what was going on. Um, And, yeah, he's a young guy and whatever you think, you don't want his mum to be going through what she's going through. But Mushfiq to me is so similar to Ryan Chambers and I still think Ryan Chambers is out there. I really do. I was thinking about him the other week And I honestly, I really do still think he's out there and he just doesn't know who he is. And I'm not someone who usually comes up with something like that. Um, But it's the shirtless, shoeless, walking around agitated, um, in an agitated state, um, which as Marissa kind of explained to me, really signals the onset of schizophrenia, especially in young men. Um, Yeah, so... I'm interested to know what you guys think on this one, um, where you think these guys are. Um, if you know the guys, you know, let me know um, if there's anything to flesh out the story. I don't really have anything else to kind of add to it. Um, visit the website at unknownpassagepodcast.com. Become a patron. at links off the website or just look for Unknown Passage Podcast on the Patreon app. Leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice if you like the show. Um, and email case suggestions to unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. I have quite a lot of exciting cases coming up. I have a lot of Patreon location requests, <laughs> um, a lot. That's why I had to keep going with these. Um, I've got Amy, Sarah, Jay, Sophie, Kim, Amy too, <laughs> John, Stephanie, um, Marissa, and I'm also going to be including a lot of my own kind of within it. I've got a a profile coming up. We haven't done one, I think, since Alexia Navalny, so that should be soon. Um, Yeah, so I'll just be doing those in no particular order. Um, I don't like to repeat the same continent twice in a row, even though I have been guilty of it. I like to kind of mix it up where we're going. Um, So if it's kind of tropical or something like that, I will try to go to another continent where it's, you know, snowy or something. Um, But there's a lot of really exciting cases coming up. Honestly, I could do this podcast every week forever and I'd never run out of cases, which is one of the sad things, you know, about these people going traveling. So I will be back hopefully soon. And yeah, I hope you guys are all well and stay safe.